off and the clock has started. He need the keka ishirini haturudi tena. How was that for a very special opening? That was Five Language Tony once again. Uh, thank you very much, Tony. And that was, a again, a very special language. You know what? I'm not going to tell you what, what it was. I, I had to email Tony and say, okay, what is this? And he told me, and I go, oh, wow, that's really cool. So here's the deal. If you know what language that was, email me at uh, Doug at 20minutespodcast.com, 20minutespodcast.com. Tell me what language that was, and I will give you 1,000 bonus 20-minute points. Now, those points uh, can be redeemed at the 20 Minutes uh, You'll Never Get Back online store that does not exist yet. But if I ever get a store going, you have 1,000 bonus points to use. <laughs> oh, man. All righty. So, again, thank you, Tony. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak. And, you know, about six episodes ago, I talked about ufology and uh, all those who believe and those who don't believe we've been visited by travelers from somewhere out there in the universe. And in that episode, I left out one giant elephant standing in an area in the middle of Nevada desert. That area just happens to have a number between 50 and 52. Now, before we get started, once again, with my digging and diving and researching Area 51, I'm sure some bells have gone off in some military uh, CIA building somewhere. But, you know, come to think of it, they didn't come knocking on my door after the episode where we talked about breaking into Fort Knox. I, I may be okay. Now, here's some info for you about Area 51. Whether or not you believe that the government has aliens and their spacecraft locked up there, you know, that's on you. I make no judgments, but let's talk about that. First of all, where is Area 51? It's in Nevada. That's all the government will say. Okay, I'm kidding. They used to say that. It didn't exist at all, but we'll have more on that in a minute. Area 51 is located in the southern part of Nevada, about 83 miles north of Las Vegas. It sits in a remote area called Groom Dry Lake. Area 51 came about in the early 1950s. You see, back then, U.S. military planes were conducting low-flying recon missions over the USSR. But there were constant worries of them being spotted and ultimately shot down. So in 1954, President Eisenhower authorized the development of a top-secret, high-altitude recon aircraft dubbed Project Aquatone. The program required a remote location that wasn't easily accessible to civilians or spies. And, well, Groom Dry Lake fit the bill perfectly. The location was already familiar territory for the military as it had served as a World War II aerial gunnery range. All right, so why is it called Area 51? Well, I, I hate to disappoint you, but the origin of the name Area 51 is a bit unclear. But here's the most commonly accepted theory. Area 51 gets its name from the old maps of the Nevada test site. Remember, they used to blow up atomic bombs out there. The Nevada test site was divided into number designated areas by the Atomic Energy Commission. Area 51 was literally the 51st of many areas that make up the military base around Groom Lake. When Area 51 was first established, Lockheed was one of the first U.S. government's major partners in the top secret aircraft and spy plane development. They called the site Paradise Ranch. 
in an attempt to attract workers to the project. I guess it's better than, hey, come and work out at Dry Groom Lake in the middle of Nevada. According to the Central Intelligence Agency, you know, CIA, uh oh, the correct names for the facility are Homey Airport and Groom Lake. Don't call it Area 51. And if the CIA says that's what it's called, then, you know, who am I to question that? <clears throat> Did you hear the CIA? I told him. Testing one, two. Are you getting all this? Okay. The government long insisted that Area 51 didn't exist. Starting in the late 1950s, people began suspecting something was going on out there. Then by the 1960s, interest began to boom as the U.S. became involved in the Cold War. People pointed out the existence of Area 51 and the military government said, uh-uh. Now, that's like saying the Grand Canyon isn't there. If I may, I'd like to present a short little play for you. Now, let me set the scene for you. I'm standing at the edge of one of Mother Nature's most spectacular creations, the Grand Canyon. Now, next to me is some guy in big aviator sunglasses wearing a military uniform. And I say, wow, would you look at that? That's the Grand Canyon. No, it's not. Well, it's, it's right there. It's that big giant hole in the ground. There's nothing there. I know I'm literally standing at the edge of the canyon. No, you're not. Watch, I, c I can pick up this rock and throw it over the edge, okay? What rock? And scene. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're too kind, you're too kind. And that was my impersonation of what I think a big burly military general sounds like. So people have long known of Area 51 and its basic importance as a development site for military aircraft, despite the government's insistence it doesn't exist. There's nothing there. We all knew there was. And then something happened. In 2005, George Washington University's National Security Archive submitted a request under the Freedom of Information Act about the U-2 spy plane. They wanted to investigate the plane, but they had no idea the results would yield something even better. Finally, eight years later, on June 25, 2013, the CIA released an official history of the U-2 aircraft and other projects. The report also ultimately acknowledged the existence of Area 51. The report contained numerous references to Area 51 and Groom Lake along with a map of the area. Four months after CIA's disclosure, President Obama became the first U.S. president to mention Area 51 publicly. So there you go. Area 51 is real and it's spectacular. <laughs> Sorry. What I meant to say was Area 51 is real and it exists. Duh. The CIA still only refers to Area 51 as Homey Airport, but the United States Air Force Public Relations refers to facility as, quote, an operating location near Groom Dry Lake. The special use airspace around their field is referred to as restricted area, and Groom Lake is used for runways of the Nellis Bombing Range Test Site Airport at the north end of Area 51, U.S. Air Force Military Installation, end quote. Just on a side note, the length of the longest runway at Area 51 is 2.3 miles long. You know, those alien aircraft, they need long runways to take off and land. <laughs> take off and land. I've seen the movies. Those alien spaceships, they're huge, so they need a big runway. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Area 51 was originally a rectangular base, six miles wide by 10 miles long, or 10 miles wide by six miles long, whatever. 
But somebody high up in the government, I guess, decided they needed more space, you know, keep prying eyes out, keep aliens in, whatever. So it's now part of the groom box, which is a rectangular area measuring 23 miles wide by 25 miles of restricted airspace. The groom box has a well-maintained road called Groom Lake Road, which winds past a security checkpoint. Don't think you're going to get any further than that. After leaving the restricted area, Groom Lake Road descends eastward to the floor of the Tickaboo Valley before meeting up with State Route 375, which is named the Extraterrestrial Highway. Oh, my uh-huh, that's right. You, you do the math. They've actually named the highway. <laughs> the United States government has provided minimal information regarding Area 51. <laughs> Again, duh. The area surrounding the lake is permanently off-limits to civilian and normal military air traffic. Security clearances are checked regularly. Cameras and weaponry are not allowed. Even military pilots training in the Nellis test range risk disciplinary action if somehow they stray into the exclusionary box surrounding groom airspace. The United States Geological Survey topographic map for the area only shows the long-disused groom mine. A civil aviation chart published by the Nevada Department of Transportation shows a large restricted airspace. Now, there are higher resolution and newer images available from other satellite imagery providers, including Russian providers. Now, if you're going to go poking around in a Russian provider's database for images of Area 51, I might suggest you don't do it. To all these CIA people listening, see, I told them not to, okay? However, if you just want to see an overhead view of Area 51, just go to Google Maps and type in Area 51. It'll take you right there. Now, make sure you're on satellite view. You can see the not-so-secret uh, base and the runways, and there is a pin for the Homey Airport. Now, if you click on the pin, it, the only picture you're going to see is the guard station. Now, here's something kind of cool, Okay. I'm sure you know that if you're on a satellite view on Google Maps, you can click and hold the little yellow man in the bottom right corner and drag it to a street and see the street from a car's perspective. Now, there's no streets you can view in Area 51, but go ahead and click on that little yellow man and drag it over the area and see what happens. Kudos, Google. Kudos to you. All right, I think this is a good time to take a break. And when we come back... We're going to dig into how you can get to Area 51, why you don't want to do that, and then we'll talk about all those alien conspiracies. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Looks as if Deaver and Slick are getting just what's coming to them. But say, boys and girls, there's something good coming your way when you ask for Nabisco shredded wheat for breakfast. Better check with Mother now to see if she has plenty of Nabisco shredded wheat on hand. Tell her you'll be glad to go to the store for Nabisco shredded wheat anytime. Remember to get the package with a picture of Niagara Falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell Mother about Nabisco. More importantly, what the hell did Beaver and Slick do to get what's coming to them? Jesus. <laughs> what a thing to dump on the kids. Yes, kids, Beaver and Slick are about to meet their maker, but hey, you, enjoy that bowl of shredded wheat. God. All right, let's get back to Area 51, or more importantly, how you can get to Area 51. Don't do it. 
But if you really want to go to Area 51, here's the absolute easiest way to do it. Okay? Join the military and then get the highest maximum security clearance. (laughs) Or a military contractor with the maximum security clearance. Then all you have to do is catch a plane from Palmdale, California or Las Vegas to Homey Airport. Uh, Don't bother looking for flights on Travelocity. Janet, or sometimes called Janet Airlines, is the unofficial name given to a highly classified fleet of passenger aircraft operated for the United States Department of the Air Force as an employee shuttle to transport military and contractor employees. The purpose is to pick up the employees at their home airport and then take them to their place of work, Area 51. And then at the end of the day or the end of the week, they take the employees back to their home airports. Now, the airline mainly serves Area 51 from a private terminal at Las Vegas's McCarran Airport or from the Palmdale Airport and Edwards Air Force Base. The airline's aircraft are generally unmarked, but they do have a red or a blue stripe along the windows of the aircraft, and that lets you know it's a Janet flight. Now, the fleet's Janet call sign is said to stand for something. Now, here's three options. I don't think I buy any of the three, but I will give them to you because, you know, I did the research, so you didn't have to. Janet stands for just another non-existent terminal. I don't think that's it. Or Joint Air Network for Employee Transportation. Okay, that one's got some possibilities. And this is the worst one. A combination of two acronyms, J-A-N for Joint Army Navy and E-T for Extraterrestrial. Yeah, I agree. That, that, that's bogus. But since you are not going to get on a Janet flight, no matter how hard you try, there are other ways you could drive there. Now, consider the following my public service announcement. The only other way to get there is by car, but I would not try that. There, I made the case, don't do it. But if you want to proceed, Area 51 is located near the tiny town of Rachel, Nevada, which has a population of 98. One approach from Rachel takes a visitor down approximately six miles of winding dirt roads to a guard building and a gate in the middle of nowhere. The other approach is 14 miles down Groom Lake Road at the base of Hancock Summit. Now, signs at the gate and the border point warn travelers that any attempt to enter will be met with fines, jail time, and use of deadly force. The perimeter of the base is marked by orange posts and patrolled by guards in white pickup trucks and camouflage fatigues, that should be a tip-off to you, with zero tolerance for any would-be tourists or any kind of BS. Now, the guards at the gate will not answer any questions about their employers. Now, what kind of dumbass would try and ask questions to a camo-wearing guard in a highly secret military base carrying a rifle about who, who they're employed by? Signage around the base perimeter advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Technology is also heavily used to maintain the border of the base. Thousands upon thousands of security cameras and motion sensors throughout the land leading up to the base's perimeter let security know you're there before you even know you're there. But none of this detracts the conspiracy theorists about aliens living in Area 51. Now, the secrecy surrounding Area 51 certainly fueled most of these conspiracy theories. The most famous is the claim that the site hosts an alien spacecraft and the bodies of its pilots after they crashed in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. 
The U.S. government says there were no aliens and the crash craft was a weather balloon. The UFO theories gained momentum in the summer of 1955. Sightings of unidentified flying objects were reported around Area 51. Now that's because the Air Force had begun testing the new U-2 aircraft. U-2 can fly higher than 60,000 feet. Airliners were flying around 10,000 to 20,000 feet and military aircraft topped out at 40,000 feet. So if a commercial pilot spotted a tiny speck that was the U-2 high above it, they would have no idea what it really was. And they would usually let air traffic control know that somebody was out there. Now, that's what led to the increase of UFO sightings in the area. Now, while the Air Force officials knew the UFO sightings were U-2 tests, they couldn't really tell the public. So they explained the aircraft sightings by saying they were natural phenomenon or high-altitude weather research. And as we know, nobody was buying that story. The alien conspiracy theory lives on uh, as a, a series of reports and books have been released by people claiming to have worked at the base and witnessed some unusual events. In 1989, a man named Robert Lazar claimed he had worked at Area 51's Sector 4. He claimed that he was contracted to work with alien spacecraft that the government had in its possession. He also claimed to have seen medical photographs of aliens and the government used a facility to examine UFOs. In 1996, a documentary titled Dreamland included an interview with a 71-year-old mechanical engineer who claimed to be a former employee at Area 51 during the 1950s. His claims included that he worked with an extraterrestrial being named J-Rod. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not casting aspersions. That's just funny that the alien is named J-Rod and described uh, J-Rod as a telepathic translator. In 2004, Dan Burrish claimed to have worked on cloning alien viruses in Area 51. He said he also worked alongside the alien J-Rod. <laughs> I, I don't know why that makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Hi, this is my friend J-Rod. He's an alien. <laughs> While the base is said by conspiracy theorists to be the site of everything from time travel research to an underground transcontinental railroad to a secret lab where the aliens work with the government to reverse engineer alien technology, there's little evidence for any of the sort of fanciful claims that people have made. Taking the conspiracy side, we don't know. We can't get in to see for ourselves. <laughs> so it's more likely uh, Area 51 is just a secret testing space for experimental aircraft of a terrestrial nature, many of which can easily be considered unidentified flying objects. So now, what is the closest you can actually get to Area 51 legally? Well, like I said, it's basically impossible to enter Area 51. However, it's only slightly less impossible to see it. Groom Dry Lake is surrounded by mountains. The closest peaks are heavily guarded so no one can spy on the activity below. There is just one mountaintop where you actually can catch a glimpse of the goings-on at the base. It's called Tikaboo Peak, and it's the closest you can legally get to Area 51. So if you still want to go there, here's what you need to do. You need a car with four-wheel drive, a shovel, as much water as you can carry, binoculars, sunscreen, a stupidly intense desire to see Area 51, and an understanding you probably won't see aliens. The car and shovel are for the first phase of your journey, a 25-mile drive on a rough dirt road that sometimes needs manual shovel repairs. 
This takes you most of the way up the mountain. For the last leg, though, you have to hike. This is where the water and sunscreen come into play. The hike is a little over a mile, but it is also ultra steep and with no water stations along the way. When you reach the peak, grab those binoculars and take a peek at Area 51, which is as close as it will ever be, 26 miles away. So I guess if you're an Area 51 enthusiast, it can be exciting and meaningful for you to see the base in real life, even though it's 26 miles away. But let me tell you, the visual on its own isn't particularly striking. It's a dry lake bed in the middle of the Nevada desert with some buildings and runways. You are not going to see little green men out there gassing up their flying saucers. Sorry. And with that, I think we'll wrap up this episode. But what have we learned today? Well, we learned that until 2013, the government believed that if you can't see it, then it doesn't exist. We learned that if you're at the Las Vegas airport and you see a white jet with a red stripe on it sitting all by its lonesome by some plain looking building, well, that plane's probably about to go to Area 51. We learned that if you try and drive to Area 51, be sure to say hi to the armed guards that saw you way before you saw them. And we learned that Google Maps has a sense of humor. <laughs> that will do it for episode 58. I know I went over a couple minutes, so here's what I'll do. I'm going to give everybody an extra 520-minute points, okay? So <laughs> hope, hope that helps the pain. As always, thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB. 20 MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So Take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.